Hi listeners, my name is Nat Wittayatanaset. And my name is Michael Waits. Our guest today is Jeffrey Liu, the founder and CEO of Sandpool, a company that's making digital payments interoperable. Hi, Jeffrey. Hey, hey, Nat. Hey, Mike. Thanks for hey, having Jeffrey. me. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, could be better given everything, but uh, can't complain really. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about reinventing payment rails with crypto because you founded this company that provides an interoperable way for people to transact with each other and also for SMB to use crypto on the back end for payment as well. But before we get started, can you share a little bit about your life story and what led you into the crypto rabbit hole and into actually a payment company? Sure, sure, sure. No problem. So I, um, my, my, my history or my, my career, so to speak, has always been in uh, tech companies, startup tech companies. Um, right out of university, I uh, joined this education technology company. And um, it was actually around that time that I became very interested in uh, Bitcoin. Uh, cryptocurrency at the time was just Bitcoin. And uh, that was in 2014, 15 in Hong Kong. So um, we actually, uh, I was actually attending a, a, uh, a conference in, in the Wan Chai Exhibition Center in Hong Kong. Um, it was an anarchist conference. So, so that was, uh, that was interesting. The first time, first time being exposed to this whole ideology. And then there was this guy dressed up in a Bitcoin costume. So um, he handed me you a You mean flyer. like a coin, like an actual yes, coin? Yes, yes. He, he, had, he, had an actual, <laughs> he was dressed as an actual coin. Right? Was so, he Japanese? No, no, he wasn't Japanese. Because they love that stuff. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yes. So um, he handed me a flyer. I, that's where I was. Um, they had an ATM there as well. So just for fun, I, I bought some at the time. And uh, yeah, I mean, subsequently started going to meetup groups while I was still at my um, education technology company at the time. So I left Hong Kong in early 2019 to come to Singapore. Um, yeah, so so that is when I started Zanpool as part of this uh, company generator program called Antler. So I met my co-founder there. Both of us were very heavily involved or in cryptocurrencies as hobbyists. And uh, we decided to sort of use this, this new technology to build uh, essentially what is a, a liquidity and, and payment rails in a very unconventional way. Awesome. So just a perfect segue to give our listeners some background on what Sandpool actually is. Yeah, so I, I guess the best and easiest way to describe what Sandpool is, is that uh, we are a payments as well as a liquidity network, kind of like Visa or MasterCard. Uh, but instead of having a, a closed network of banks, our open network is made out of individuals, uh, businesses, and we use their idle capital to settle cross-currency and cryptocurrency transactions. Because of that liquidity, we're able to uh, essentially settle all kinds of currencies and cryptocurrencies uh, faster and cheaper. And um, that, that is sort of how we started out, right? Uh, by providing this specific service to cryptocurrency native merchants, like uh, the large exchanges, uh, the wallets, the, the DeFi front ends. Etc. I hope, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Can you just run through an example for people that may not sure. be so familiar with the way this works? Like, 
I am Me, just not familiar. Yeah. Of, course, of course, no problem. I, I, I'll, I'll define it. Uh, I'll give two explanations. One is for a very crypto native crowd. Um, Perfect. I'll just and for yes. just currencies. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So Perfect. So for, for uh, someone who's already involved with with cryptocurrency, DeFi, um, the way I would describe Zampool is we are like a Uniswap, except uh, between local fiat and cryptocurrencies. Now, uh, for, for, for the layman out there, what this really means is that um, we let you essentially make use of your idle cryptocurrency and local currency in your own bank account to settle transactions for other parties very quickly in a way uh, that you earn fees from that. So anyone, um, most people right, in Singapore would have a Singapore bank account uh, or in Hong Kong, they would have a Hong Kong bank account and they would have Hong Kong dollars in that account. Then um, they pair that with a cryptocurrency. And then essentially what's happening is that um, that liquidity, that Hong Kong dollar liquidity and a cryptocurrency liquidity is being used to settle transactions for people, right? Uh, to merchants, from merchants, uh, between individuals, between businesses. Um, and that just sort of um, creates a very fast way of doing cross-border or cross-currency transactions without actually ever going cross-currency. So, so I hope. Okay. That. Let me, let me try if I understand okay. this correctly. So if let's say I want to convert Thai baht into, mm -hmm. uh, let's say US dollar traditionally, I would need to go to a money exchange. Yes. But today, if I want to, let's say if I want to convert Thai baht into a Bitcoin, mm -hmm. I can just go to Sandpool where there's people at the back I don't know um, mm -hmm. what they do, but they actually accidentally have Taibat and Bitcoin in their account. Mm -hmm. right, so now yes. they're just providing that exchange for me directly. So exactly. anyone can turn themselves into a money changer, essentially. Exactly. Is that correct? Any, correct. So, so anyone can turn themselves, any individual or business can turn themselves into a money changer and earn that fee, so to speak. Um, our software on the back end handles the uh, the, the settlement, right? So the, the confidence of when they send you your money that the other side of the transaction gets executed. Um, and also the compliance things like the KYC, uh, source of wealth, et cetera. Okay. So but basically kind of... from, from, from a, a retail perspective, yeah. you're, you're just buying and selling cryptocurrency. That's all. It's just how we do it. It's a bit strange. Uh, it's using the, the decentralizing yeah. exchange. Correct. Like a decentralized <laughs> exchange. Finally. Um, but what kind of transactions would I be doing? Can you give an example? So I understand a merchant taking Hong Kong dollars. That makes perfect Correct. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's easy. So yes. I have Bitcoin. I can't imagine somebody taking Bitcoin, selling it, and buying a pizza again. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> we've seen that happen, and that guy was lost his mind. But that was years ago. But today, so you're not borrowing the, the cryptocurrency. You're actually, someone's actually giving it away. Not giving it away, but they're trading it for some other thing. Correct, yes. And then they no longer have it. Yes, they, they no longer have it, but they have the other side. They have the cryptocurrency or the local currency. So just one example, right, uh, Mike? Let's say uh, you are in, uh, let's use that Thailand example. You have Thai baht in your bank account and you have um, Bitcoin uh, in your cryptocurrency wallet. Right. What you can do here is you now, um, it's sitting there anyway. The bank is giving you an interest rate of maybe 0.3%. Uh, a year, if you're lucky. If you're right? lucky. Yeah, yeah if you put it, if you if you lock it up for five years, maybe. <laughs> Let's so, call it zero. But yeah. Yes. So um, what, what I let you do is I let you connect your bank account and your crypto wallet 
to what is the Zanpool network. So now your Taiba and your Bitcoin are connected to the network. And other people on the network can trade that currency with you in a way so that you earn fees. So let's say someone wanted to buy some Bitcoin using Taibot from you. So they would send Taibot into your account, right? My software in your account will see the money arrive. We compare the KYC information, make sure it matches. Then um, if it does, let's say $100 of Taibot goes in, roughly 99.5 Taibot worth of Bitcoin goes out. So at that point in time, you are up 50 basis points, 0.5%. And, and that is how you make money, except that happens many, many times a day. And, and, and therefore, um, it, it sort of creates a surplus in your account uh, at the end of every day that mimics a, a yield, so to speak. Yeah, I, I hope that that makes more sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But what is it like from a regulatory standpoint if the, if the banking regulators just see all this activity in my account? Mm-hmm. Correct. So depending on the region, right, like what is actually what you are engaging in is uh, peer-to-peer buying and selling of cryptocurrency. Yep. Uh, there are many places in the world where that is illegal. There is, you, you are not, the government does not allow you to trade cryptocurrency or deal in cryptocurrency whatsoever. Uh, there are other parts in the world where um, cryptocurrency is um, regulated as a commodity or viewed as a commodity. And you can trade it, buy and sell it with other people in your community if you want, given that you follow various guidelines, right? That um, virtual asset service providers have to sort of uh, follow. And, and our software makes it very easy to do so. So, so we help you comply with, sorry, Go ahead. please continue. No, it's okay. So one of the things you said was, and I wanna make sure that I understand, you said KYC, mm-hmm. know your customer, right? But then there was some other thing, which is like, know your source. What was that other thing you said? Oh, so, um, this is actually very common in, in peer-to-peer cryptocurrency trading, whereby um, when you what's hear the, of horror what's the stories, term, though? oh, uh, it, it's called source of wealth, source, source of money. Of wealth, okay. Yes, and the, the reason that's important is because of um, this thing called a third-party payment. So this is where um, scammers will pretend to be someone and then uh, initiate a cryptocurrency transaction, but then have a victim send money to the account, right? And because of that, uh, the scammer gets the cryptocurrency, the victim sent money to the cryptocurrency trader and thinks the cryptocurrency trader is somehow a, a, a bad party, right? Um, who, who has scammed him, but that's actually not the case. So the source of wealth check is really to prevent that, right? To, to make sure that the person indeed wants to buy cryptocurrency or wants to buy that specific good he's claiming to buy. And then that, um, yeah, that uh, once that's established, um, the, the risk of third-party payments is essentially zero. Right. For people who are providing liquidity to Sandpool, do they need to be in front of their computers all day long monitoring oh. these transactions? So, so not at all. That, that's, uh, that, that's part of the thing that, uh, I guess that's part of our secret sauce, right? So we, we figured out pretty early on um, how to build these um, APIs into uh, banking providers, e-wallets, cryptocurrency exchanges in a way such that they don't have to sit at their computers uh, all day. They can just leave it essentially. And then at the end of the day, they'll have more money than when they began. So what's the typical yield that you're talking about? The, the, the rate that I'll get if I provide mm-hmm. a service? Yes. So on average, our network has generated up to 20, 
5% yield APY on the uh, idle capital that's sitting in your bank account. And on top of that, you're actually also earning interest uh, because the money is not leaving the, the bank, right? It's just moving out and then coming back in quickly. Now, having said that, um, most of our LPs and most of our liquidity these days actually does come from businesses. So, um, yeah, these are- So, these sorry, are, this is, sorry, this is the part I don't understand. So, yes. it goes out and then comes back in? Mm -hmm. so, so I'm not, see, I'm, you're not actually taking any of my money because I was going to ask mm -hmm. this question too, like, right. how do, how am I protected against spikes and, but I'm, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if I give you a thousand baht, you give me a thousand baht back plus something. Yes. Yes. Um, except that it's not immediate, right? So when someone, um, when bot, Thai bot moves in, crypto goes out. When crypto moves in, Thai bot goes out, right? And, and sort of our, our network balances you in such a way that at the end of the day, there is more of both the crypto and the local currency. How does that happen? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll just extrapolate on the example I gave you before. Yep. $100 of Thai bot comes in, $99 of uh, Thai bot worth of crypto goes out, Yep. which means you're up $1 net, yeah. right? Now, um, another transaction requires uh, roughly $100 worth of Thai bot, the cryptocurrency, in Taibot to come in, then $99 worth of Taibot will go out. So you're again up a dollar, right? But now your, your balances are, are equalized again, or they're normalized again to your initial principal. But am I guaranteed to have my principal normalized at all times? Or is yes. are there yes. days? Oh, you, I am. So, so we do that actually. Um, and there are days, let's say, uh, when Bitcoin crashes a lot and, and people yeah. just want to buy, right? Um, we will have way too much buying on the network and not enough selling. So what happens then is there's, say this is in India, too much Indian rupees is coming into the network or the local liquidity pool and the crypto is being depleted. So what we then have to do is we have to make sure our, 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 our liquidity providers fees and principal is hedged. So um, what we will do is we will execute uh, Bitcoin purchases on larger uh, pools of liquidity like exchanges, um, like um, OTC platforms. So we will buy back that BTC essentially with US dollars that we have or margin US dollars that we have, which essentially zeroes out our cryptocurrency volatility risk. And now our only risk is between the US dollar and that local currency, which is a lot easier to hedge and manage than uh, say the volatility of Bitcoin. It's a lot of work just to do this. Is so. What's what are the volumes that you see? Again, I'm not, I'm not sizing you up, but I'm just curious about like how many people are saying, "Here's I'll connect this API to my bank right. account because I've just got excess mm -hmm. capital, but I've also right. got excess Bitcoin that I kind of don't need today, that and I'll just right. let you pay me twenty percent a year." Mm -hmm. But where, yes. where does the return come from? Um, okay, so two questions. The return comes from the um, you essentially automatically market making between that, the pair, right? And essentially partaking in the bid-ask spread. That is where the, the yield is coming from. Um, so what you're essentially doing is you're, you're, you're using our software to buy crypto at this price, sell at this price automatically yep. in yep. a way. Uh, yep. And we hedge you for that, right? I now, understand. yeah, in, in terms of how much liquidity we're talking about in the 12 countries, or so that we are in right now, uh, we have on average 
25 million US dollars worth of liquidity, both sides of the local to crypto side, um, just in, in the network. I, I do believe we are the largest uh, decentralized market maker technically um, in, in the region. So, and in terms of uh, most of these liquidity providers are businesses. So they, they range from um, import ex export businesses uh, to textile manufacturers, money service operators, et cetera. It's, I mean, an arbitrage trader will tell you that every ARB closes over time, mm -hmm. right? So you're basically just ARBing the bid offer spread and the spread between like the FX rates and the cryptocurrency rates. I know it's more complicated than that, but there's nothing stopping somebody else from coming in and just doing it a little bit cheaper on both sides, right? Because we saw this all the time in the hedge fund world. I'll pay mid if I can get out there because there's still an ARB there and I can still make money. So how do you... And, and at some point, you're taking a little bit of transaction risk, right? Because literally, if between the time somebody buys some Bitcoin from somebody and you have to go out and buy it, mm -hmm. it could move even just 2%. Yes. But that's uh, a lot. That's correct, correct. So um, there absolutely is that risk. Uh, what we do is every 30 seconds, we take a snapshot of the entire local liquidity pool, uh, say between the local currency and the specific cryptocurrency. And then we execute trades uh, to to neutralize the crypto volatility risk, yep. right? Now, and and yeah, so so there's that. Um, the fee actually is generated by the retail. So depending on uh, where, how the network is being used, uh, whether it's a large exchange like Binance um, who is using us to connect their customers to their platform, that's where the customer is paying for that instantaneous speed. Right, to move money from his local Indian rupees into, say, tethers on the Binance exchange. Right. Um, now, when it's being used for um, between customer and merchant in a non-crypto in a non-crypto fashion, whereby um, we're helping merchants accept payments, but using crypto as the settlement layer, uh, that is where the merchant pays us 1.99%. So, if you are to, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not purely an art game. I, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Right? And, mm. and, and therefore, um, you see the mid-market rates on our, our platform right? that you are seeing. Oh, wait a second. So this is actually really interesting. So I'm a merchant and I want to get paid in like Singapore dollars. Right. But the person that wants to pay me doesn't have access to Singapore dollars, but they have U.S. dollars. Right. But they don't want to go do an FX trade. So they join mm -hmm. the Xanapool network in Xanapay. And you connect the APIs and you're like, okay, that merchant is paying you, let's just call it 2% because it's easier for my brain to translate that right. and easier to say. But they're paying you a fee so that I can pay them. So you are creating like a credit card layer or a PayPal layer, but using, using yeah. the Bitcoin ARB or the crypto ARB right. to be able to facilitate that payment because Correct. everybody's willing to give you their crypto to make 50 basis points on every trade that they do or the 50 cents, whatever it is. Right. And you're then just making an instantaneous payment in Singapore dollars from somebody who has dollars and needs to pay a merchant who's on your network. Is that right? That is correct. So, so now um, you're making money a bunch of different ways. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I understood. So, so the best way to sort of describe that is it's, it's like transfer-wise, but yeah. um, with yeah. crypto in the yeah. middle. With, yeah, with, with crypto, crypto as a yeah. settlement layer. I think what's more interesting is that for TransferWise or these uh, remittance company, they need to park a lot of capital in oh. each country so that they can provide instant payout, right? For example, right. Yep. if TransferWise was in Thailand and in the US, they have to maintain currency, local currency in both countries. Right. But here you're utilizing the retail or the people in each market to provide that capital instead. So it's a much asset light 
way to bootstrap this this liquidity network. Correct. Right. Yes, and who yes. are who are these businesses that are using you? Are they like uh, moment, yes. like traditional SMEs, sure. exporting yes. importer, exporter importer? Like how do they get to know yes. this network? So I, I actually should um, clarify uh, something, right? I, I think it's a misconception that um, most of the volume that's being moved or settled by a crypto is not Bitcoin. Um, it's it's a stable coin called Tether, actually across Asia Pacific. So uh, the, the difference is that. Um, uh, Tether, for, for the audience that does not know, um, or USDC Circle, is um, a, a cryptocurrency that is uh, hard pegged to the US dollar uh, by means of being able to redeem it for a US dollar um, in large enough amounts. So um, that actually is uh, a lot more popular than Bitcoin uh, or... Um, because or there's Ethereum. no volatility. Correct, correct. And, and, and uh, which goes back to your question, right? Like, how do these businesses or LPs get to sign on starting out when sorry were, business yeah. is the, are they the the exchanger or are they the, no, no, liquidity, no, sorry, providers? the, the liquidity providers the liquidity providers that happen to be businesses yeah when we started out in order to get LPs liquidity providers I would just go to that country um, I would meet the top 10 uh, OTC traders and I would just tell them hey what you're doing right now I can automate but subsequently we uh, enabled US Tether liquidity, a USDC liquidity. And now we were able to just approach, say, a, a very traditional business and say, hey, I will let you purchase 200 million, sorry, 200,000 uh, US dollars at 20 basis points off, but you have to be a liquidity provider for six months. So what's happening is that we are, are essentially um, selling the USD slightly cheaper than market. Right? And in return, we're getting that liquidity in the local world. We're basically paying 20 basis points right, for that liquidity for six months in that but, region. But mm-hmm. you're making 50 basis points on the other side. No, you're right. making 1.99. So you're making correct, correct. 169, 179 basis points on every trade. That is correct. And, and I do that trade all day, every day. <laughs> right. And, and to these guys, right, they're, they're holding um, U.S. dollars, right? So, so they, um, they, they can redeem it for U.S. dollars if they want to. They can redeem it back to, let's say, their local currency like Vietnamese Dong or uh, USD Tethers if they want to. So, um, yeah, I mean, th- this was just one of the many ways we sort of bootstrapped our network. Now there is a wait list for LPs to, to join. Yeah, we're, we're a lot more picky in terms of uh, letting LPs join a network now just because it, it's hit a certain scale whereby the liquidity on it can actually accommodate a, a very high multiple of transaction volume. Correct. So right now, uh, we're seeing that like $1 of liquidity on the network uh, on both sides, right? Uh, so let's just say $2 of liquidity can very easily facilitate over $35 worth of GTV That's on the network okay. just because there's money moving in and out. Mm. Yeah. Are there any tax implications for business and oh, yeah, so, so, who want to provide LP function? Yes. So... Um, it is I'm asking the, this for myself. Yeah, I was yeah. just saying here. You're asking for me as well. <laughs> it, it is the responsibility of the LP to, to pay his own taxes, but uh, we have a very easy dashboard for you to sort of um, see Figure out the yeah, what this you earned yeah, and, how you, um, uh, and, and how much taxes you owe or, or make it easy for them to calculate that. Do I need to have cryptocurrency as well or can I just provide like dollar liquidity or bot liquidity? So... You would have to provide um, local currency liquidity, like uh, say uh, the, the Vietnamese dong, 
and uh, cryptocurrency liquidity um, doesn't have to be in Bitcoin. Actually, it's not preferred now. Uh, just use Tether or, or USDC as that liquidity. And then you can start um, essentially earning that transaction fee on your liquidity. Are you planning to provide the function where you convert the, the fiat? Let's say I only have Vietnamese dong and I provide mm-hmm. you the dong and you go about and convert that into Tether for me. So that is <laughs> That's doable. a feature request, by the way, yeah. from that right <laughs> now. Uh, that, that is doable through uh, some of our partners who uh, have the regulatory uh, framework to, to do those things. But uh, yeah, that's very possible. And are you regulated by any means to, do the, to be able to do this? Like, do, do you have to be regula- regulated as a market maker in, in different countries? Yes. So... Um, Depending on, on where specifically you are, uh, we, we do hold financial licenses. Um, but yeah, I mean, think along the lines of money service operator, money brokering, these sorts of activities. Where are you yeah. based? We are based no, in Hong you, Kong. You personally. Singapore. So where, where are you from originally? I'm from China. From China, yeah. China. And yes, Nanjing, yeah, mainland. From Nanjing. Okay, I've Nanjing, been to Nanjing China, yes. years ago. Um, yeah. What did your but before parents Singapore, think? I was in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. What did your parents think when you stopped doing the ed tech company and started doing this? Oh, did they um, get it at all? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing about the ed tech company is it, it wasn't my my own company. I so I, I, I joined them as, as the COO. And after my, my shares vested, um, when I went to ask for more, uh, that I was given a, an offer that I, you know, just could not take. Uh, so I, I amicably left. And uh, yeah, I mean, Given, I mean, so, so some context is that after uh, the EdTech company called SnapAsk, I, I did carbon trading for a year, which was a complete just mess up. Um, it did not work at all. And uh, I, I think my, my, my family was quite relieved that I, I, I did something. Stop doing, yeah, stop doing stop that. Doing and, and I started doing something a lot more respectable, like cryptocurrency. <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yeah, marketing. <laughs> Respect to the parents right there. <laughs> Why did you start Sandpool? Like, what was the opportunity or the market mm-hmm. gap that you saw at the time? When was this? Was it like three years ago? Four oh, years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah, this is mm-hmm. our third year. So we started this in early 2019. Um, the reason I we, we built this is because I um, I was a trader on a lot of the uh, larger cryptocurrency exchanges as well at the time. They so I, I knew a lot of the the, the biz dev people, the, the people in, in those places, and uh, they were telling me that. You know, they are like the ultimate underserved merchant. Now you think like gambling platforms or, um, you know, like adult content platforms do not have problems with payments. Like crypto platforms are the, 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 the they are perceived as the most scummiest of them all, right? So yeah. they, they just have no payment processing power at all, right? And, and at the time I figured, hey, um, I was also a peer-to-peer trader. So I, I figured that, you know, I, I think we can build a system that, is actually peer-to-peer and thereby a lot more durable, but it comes with a Coinbase-like experience. That's sort of how we started out building this from Singapore and then immediately going into the nearby regions as well. What's, what is it about peer-to-peer that is attractive to you oh, uh, um, as a market maker? As a market? No, I, I think it's more of the, 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 the structure and, and the flow of peer-to-peer that I... Um, that I find more efficient, right, at scale. Cryptocurrency was actually invented to reduce counterparties in, in finance, right? And ironically, the, the way that the industry evolved 
required everyone to hand over their custody to, to a counterparty and then market make on his interface and his platform. Right. Right. So this it didn't change obvious, much, basically. Yeah, it, just... it, it didn't change much at all. Yeah. Granted, I was trading on these places as well because that's where the liquidity was. <laughs> and and uh, it's sort of like this vicious cycle whereby like more liquidity, it gets you more activity and it gets yeah. more right. users. So, so one, I, I knew the people in these, in these exchanges, they needed a service like this. Um, I figured that liquidity on these platforms was oftentimes, um, especially for like uh, Asia Pacific countries, right? Most of the crypto liquidity is US dollar paired, right? It's US dollar to specific cryptocurrency, right? Whereas Singapore dollar to say, or, or Vietnamese dong to say Bitcoin liquidity really is just Vietnamese dong to US dollar to, um, yeah. to Bitcoin. Yeah. So yeah. similar to the FX world. Yeah, just like the so, FX so, world, exactly. So, so in the end of the day, we decided, hey, um, we can actually build our own liquidity, right? We don't need to, and now the technology exists, whereby we don't have to be the custodian, be the counterparty in all of these trades. We can just, you know, build the right to software that lets people place their own liquidity in their own bank accounts, in their own crypto wallets, right? We don't touch it at all, but somehow it can still be deployed into the network and the ecosystem in, in a very quick and, and seamless way. So, so that's what we started wanting to build. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're still building today. What stops somebody else from just going out and building this thing as well, right? In other words, mm-hmm. there are, as you mentioned, just like in the stock market, there are hundreds of exchanges, right? A lot of which are moving to sort of global equities. There are plenty of crypto exchanges as well. Yes. And there's only one Zanpool. I mean, that can't actually be true. There are probably other people out there that are building this. Of course. Of can, course. So, so can, yeah. can people connect to like different APIs and then just like, just sit there and watch their bank account get arbed all day? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so um, I think, you know, like if, if you know, I, it could be done. It's just a, a very uphill battle, even for um, very large incumbents. I, I guess the two things that, that we did that sort of um, is hard to replicate is one, we actually went ahead and sourced our own liquidity. That liquidity is not liquidity that we are paying on, right? Uh, that, for example, let's say you partner with a Visa or MasterCard, right? Um, sure, you can like, you know, service some of the regions, but they're paying Visa and MasterCard 3% every transaction, right? And then you're paying a fixed cost on top of that. Uh, whereas for us, right, we have gone out ahead and, and and sort of built out our own liquidity or sourced our own liquidity and built our own infrastructure. The part of the infrastructure that we have that's hard to replicate is the part that can automate the, the legacy financial system, right? So these are the APIs that allow people to connect their bank accounts and then their bank accounts essentially becomes an automated uh, market-making sort of trader. Now, that that part, right, that, um, that process is... is it just takes time to replicate. It's not just a matter of throwing money at the problem. You, you have to build uh, or find an API way to do it or build uh, using a process called RPA, Robot Process Automation. Um, it's basically we have an in-house plat, like platform for Asia Pacific with over 80 to 90 banks, e-wallets already connected. So someone who wishes to replicate that, in his time of him building one, we will also say add another one right to our stack. And then each individual bank account or crypto exchange or e-wallet that we add to our stack is N minus one 
times more effective or powerful because now that new thing we added is yeah, interoperable just, with everything before. You're just doing you're just doing network effect and mathematics. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Correct, correct. I, I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but I'm just. Yeah. And again, I never say this. Like, and I hate to even have this thought in my brain. Right? I really do, because I love this idea. Obviously, now that I finally understand it. But you know, J.P. Morgan's getting into the crypto world, and there's nothing stopping them from taking all of their bank accounts and their crypto. Because the reason why I say this is because I saw this happen in the equity business. They had all these crossing exchanges, and then I was at Goldman Sachs, and we were like, "Let's just build a dark pool internally," which we did too, and it kind of disintermediated all of the other dark pool exchanges. And then we could connect it to our prop desk and made money like 12 ways to Tuesday. So what's going to stop those? Maybe they'll just buy you, which would be thumbs up and awesome. But at some point, they're going to get into that business, yeah? They definitely would want to get into it. I think the way that they're going to do it is is still different though, because of the inherent uh, limitations that they have, right? So let's say uh, JP Morgan uh, wishes to go and provide uh, Vietnamese dong to Bitcoin liquidity or Vietnamese dong to Tether liquidity. The way they would go about that is probably open a bank account there in Vietnam, deposit a whole load of Vietnamese And park dong. their own money. Yeah, park their own money, park a whole load of things, right? That inherently creates a central point of failure that I don't think is uh, very anti-fragile. So say that that infrastructure goes down or that because they are the... Um, custodians of all that money, right? Uh, despite it being prop, proprietary money, their own balance sheet uh, sort of market making. Uh, the moment that something happens to that avenue, uh, right, that channel, right, their entire business goes down. And I, I just have to point out to say some examples, like uh, say TransferWise, right, in India. Every th- third month, you'll realize that you can't send money in or out of India. The reason for that is, is because they position themselves as that central point of failure, right? They position themselves as, as the party, the custodian, the uh, middleman who wants to be the counterparty and, and sort of uh, take that risk, right? So in doing that, their clearing bank has significant influence over them. And anyone who has influence over their clearing bank has significant influence over whether business or not gets done. Let's say suddenly regulation gets passed, right? That you can no longer... You can no longer, um, institutions can no longer, business exchanges are now, you know, all outlawed, um, something along that line, or, or now capital controls are very strict. What do I do instead now? Whenever this happens, the remittance companies, they, they stop sending money. The banks, they, they stop working, they stop sending money back and forth. But what actually happens in the market is that the bid-ask spread for cryptocurrency shoots up. Right. Right. So, so, so the tether starts trading at a 20, 30% premium. This happens in Korea all the time, happens in India, happens in Vietnam all the time. And the supply in the market actually increases because now people, right, and, and businesses would love to arbitrage an opportunity. So I, I, I think, right, it's, um, of course, larger participants can join this thing, but they're not going to build a, a, a decentralized liquidity pool from the ground up. They're just going to use their mass, build a centralized liquidity pool. And in the end of the day, it's a different target market that we're servicing, in my opinion, in my opinion. Of course, take it with a grain of salt. I think that's the answer, actually. I think that's the answer, is that they're going to do this the dumb way. And the dumb way is, hey, we already have a billion dollars, and we already Legacy have cryptocurrency. Why Legacy don't just spread it everywhere? Why don't, we just, why don't we just do it for everybody, as opposed to going, never mind, we'll just use everybody's deposits. 
and our cryptocurrency right. and do it that way. And the other problem is that their embedded costs are so much higher than yours, so they can't charge 1.99%. They have to charge like 5%, otherwise they won't make any money. And that's the real answer, I think. Anyway, I, I agree with you. That's correct. You're safe. But, but Mike, I, I actually, I actually, this is something that, that does keep me up at night. And um, yeah, I mean, that, that's why we actually, um, we, we are speaking with uh, traditional financial institutions um, well, yeah. primarily because we want to make use, have them partake in this yield generation that we're doing. Right, right, right. Yeah. Before they and do it themselves. You, always, you want to pay them first. Like, <laughs> hey guys, don't worry. Let me just connect to your accounts and then yeah. uh, don't worry about it. We'll get back to you. And then by the time you're done connecting to all their accounts, they will not have figured out what you're doing. Anyway, good strategy. Go ahead, Nat. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, I was going to ask um, to better understand the the type of customers that are using um, not just on the liquidity provider side, but the people right. who want to transfer, right? Like who, who are these? Are, are they also SME? Because I want to understand because um, if the banks do get into this business, like I want to mm -hmm. understand if it's, it's going to be the same target customer, right. basically. Correct. So yes, I, I would say um, th there are many stakeholders in this sort of payment network, right? So we started out only servicing crypto native merchants, uh, the exchanges, the wallets, et cetera. They are a stakeholder. Um, now, what they need is because they're crypto native, local Indonesian rupiah does not mean anything to them, right? They, they can't do anything with it, right? Um, a, a Binance or OKX, they need you to have Bitcoin or Tethers on their platform so that you can, you know, um, day one, all in Bitcoin, day two, all in Ethereum, day three, trade it for another asset, day four, buy an ICO, day five, margin trade with 50X leverage. Right? So, so they need cryptocurrency and, and they need you through their activities on their platform to cycle that crypto so that they earn their fees. Because they want trading volume. Correct. Now, we're, we're simply the platform that, that helps them link up with local liquidity so that their customers can very easily move that liquidity onto their platform. Are, are the people who, who just like have a need to quickly move their local currency into a, a different form of currency, like cryptocurrency? Right. Yeah. Either crypto or other... FX rate. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think the payment world will look like going forward with Singapore and Thailand launching this? Thinking about launching retail CBDC, how is that going to impact um, payment flow and, and the digital payments in the future? I, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and I, I think CBDCs is something I'm very excited for. The reason being is because I think that's just going to completely speed up crypto adoption by, you know, uh, by, by factors that central banks did not know before, right? How come? So How come? I think it's quite clear, right, that a lot of um, central banks have been, have been very eager to, to get rid of cash and move everything digitally. If I were a central bank, I see that as something very positive, right? Because now... I am the central bank and I am the retail bank. So, 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 so retail banks, right? I, I can basically completely take over the role of retail banks. Um, and two, I know exactly how much money everyone has. I can program tax into the money itself, right? So um, on one hand, it gives them unilaterally more transparency and control over the people using the money. And, and two, um, it, it gives them a lot more power over, over traditional retail banks almost to a point where like, why do you still need a retail bank after you this? Don't. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't. don't, you don't, you really don't, don't. right? It's, 
that banking is really just a, a name and like an integer value of like how much money you have. So you just you just actually yeah. said something really scary and kind of glossed over yes. it. I want to say it, but I want to say this explicitly. <laughs> because the tokenization of money means that it's programmable. And the people that program it, in this case, if you're talking about a central bank digital currency, is going to be the central bank or the government that regulates it. It means that they can change the tax code at will yes. and you can't stop them. Our interest rate or yes. interested or anything. So this is very scary, yeah. but, but, but interesting. And they will probably do it. It also makes money laundering almost impossible, but it almost forces criminals to just pay in cash, right? So you're going to see this flip. And I know people have said this before, but it'll mean that right. in the old days, the guys wearing the Bitcoin costumes and the anarchists were considered right. the criminals. Right. And now it'll be the people that are just using cash will be the criminals because they don't want anybody to be able to trace their transactions. It's just interesting Correct. to see what's going to happen here. Definitely. I don't think anybody knows yet, but Definitely. Well, it I, feels I mean, a bit scary. Let, let's take um, Singapore or um, Singapore as an example, right? I, I believe um, Singapore, the central MAS recently, um, in, in the last year, they made, they stopped printing $1,000 notes. And now the same $1,000 notes are being resold at 80 basis points. Premium, premium right? so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wait, so no, not 80 basis points, 8%, up to 8% premium, not 80 basis points, 8% premium. 8% of the thousand. Yes, yes. So you're getting, you're getting paid $80 for, uh, you're getting paid $1,080 for a $1,000 note. Of course, you're getting paid in 50s, right? But, you know, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Which that are is- Which not going away yet. Yes, yes. Well, you know, so, so that, that is literally already happening. People really, really value their, their privacy, right? Singapore has a, a whole lot, and Hong Kong, they, they both have a lot of, you know, very high net worth people. Cash usage is, is very high amongst these people, maybe just because you know, they like privacy. But with the, 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 the domination of CBDCs, and I, I see them being able to dominate the market very quickly, I do foresee a, a future whereby people will almost want to immediately, the moment they have their CBDCs, uh, their digital um, DOMs or, or digital rupias, the moment they have it, they will want to start, they will want to switch out of it into an asset class or store of value that isn't so traceable, right? Or, or where ownership, uh, they have plausible viability of ownership purely for that reason of privacy. I mean, I mean, you know, they, they get their salaries in the CBDC, uh, they're instantly going to trade half of it for say Bitcoin, right? And then they're going to send it into a mixer for privacy. And now they have something that they can pass on that is untaxable. So, so I, I do see for, for this particular reason alone that uh, CBDCs will be fantastic for crypto adoption. Yeah, because by definition, because the government's going to legitimize it in a way they're going to force everybody into cryptocurrency because right. it's, yeah. the only, it's going to be the only way people can transact. And there will be no longer any people with money in their mattresses because, because the other thing that the government will do is you can pay an $80 premium for a $1,000 note, but at some point... The government's just going to say, okay, we know how much money we put into circulation and nobody else can make it. We want every $1,000 note back yeah. at, you know, by December 31st. And if yes. you hold on to it, it's worthless. Yes. Correct. Yeah. You're on your own, right? Yeah. So people are going to have to make a bet about, can I still use this with the other guys that want the $1,000 notes or not? Right, right. And no, that's going to be a no, I think. The war on cash is real. And I, I think... Um, Personally, I, I am against it. I'm a big opponent for cash. I think it it uh, actually introduces stability into an economic system, right? If, if everything is digital, that um, 
some hackers could like hijack your like what 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 if your monetary policy gets hacked like have fun yep. right <laughs> yeah. or your ta- or your tax thing gets hacked or correct correct anything and it can get hacked like your your wallet can get pickpocketed but it doesn't scale as a business right right and right. now it's all software so right. <laughs> you know so it's, yeah and that definitely scales so my last question for you Jeffrey is around the surge of DeFi. And I want to know what's the role, like, is there a way that you can connect to these uh, decentralized exchanges and provide, um, allow people to access them without having to go through exchange and do multiple trades before they end up there? Uh, and how do you see the DeFi world um, being in- integrated into Sandpool, if ever, going forward? Yeah, 100%. I, I am a big uh, supporter of, of the movement. And, and, and by that, I, I don't mean like the, the, the paying like a crap ton of money for, for JPEGs uh, on your computer, for images on your computer. Uh, no, I'm actually talking about just the... Decentralized finance, yeah, like the, real the decentralized, decentralized finance. Decentralized yeah. way whereby you can lend money and earn yield on it or transact between different uh, assets without a counterparty saying so. Right. So, so that is absolutely um, incredibly powerful. You only have to look at like some some of the larger, um, say, lending protocols, uh, Aave, Compound. It's very, very, um, I would say, cutting edge stuff. And if this thing, if this sort of, these sorts of um, smart contracts, right, networks, if they become larger, they can literally replace entire sections of, of credit businesses, right? Uh, retail banking, commercial banking as well. So, so I am very excited for this. The way Zampool works with these platforms is we do work with a lot of DeFi platforms simply because DeFi is crypto native. They still need their users to use to cryptocurrency. And, and, and for fiat that, fiat into crypto. Correct, correct. And, and they still have to change the fiat into crypto. So, um, yeah, we, we've partnered with various um, lending protocols, yield protocols, uh, whereby people can just directly pop up, say, Vietnamese Dong to a local liquidity peer directly into. This, this decentralized lending protocol. So now they're, they're earning yield on uh, $300 that they earned that month, for example. And that's one click, basically? Um, well, it, it's a click and then you've got to send the money. Yeah, a few clicks. And, and because it, it's, the, it's the legacy finance part that, that takes the, the clicks, right? You, you need a <laughs> click and you got to send the money. And then our, our network has to make sure the money arrived. And then our network has to make sure um, that you are indeed the person you say you are. And only then do you get the crypto. Ah, so instead of having to convert my Kaibot or Fiat Adong into Bitcoin by sending my, um, my Fiat from my account to the exchange, convert and move that money from uh, exchange to decentralized exchange to earn these yields or lending protocols to earn yields, you just automated right. the whole process. Absolutely. And, and I guess another thing that, you know, the, the way I see this industry moving is that for liquidity like this, for at least local currency to cryptocurrency liquidity, it will become more and more inefficient if you have a lot of pairings. Eventually, it will break down to one local currency pairing to just one main cryptocurrency. Right now, that in Asia Pacific is definitely tethered because, right, the, the moment that the switching cost of fiat to crypto it is the fiat into crypto because the moment you're into crypto, you have Tether and you want, say, Bitcoin. That switching cost is so low, uh, right. especially with DeFi, it's pretty much negligible. So, yeah, I, I, I do Apart see Apart from the gas fee. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the, the gas fee. The gas fee. That's true. 
So I, I've got a couple of questions if you still have time. No, definitely. One, how come X is everywhere? Oh, uh, example, Zanpay. I bought the domain name actually, like, I think in 2016. Did you um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought the domain name in 2016, never got to use it. I, I think there was something like, like um, there was like some, some cliche guidelines of, of, of companies that got very large, right? Like have a, have weird letters in it, right? So, right. so there's like X's work. Uh, yeah. X. Right. And then like have two O's and, and then just basically like I generated a whole bunch of these, um, the, the, <laughs> it's like two syllable sounding nouns and, and just bought them. <laughs> and then we decided on this one. I love it. And how much money does someone need to have to be a liquidity provider? At first we, you know, we let anyone in. But at first, yeah. you know, the moment we KYC yeah. you, uh, you know, you you are a normal person or a normal business that right. you in. Now, on average, the liquidity per peer on the network sits at about sixty k USD. Sixty thousand so, dollars. Yes, yes. Having said that, there is a wait list of, of of LPs right now who, on average, have a lot more than that. So, uh, anyone can can wait list. It may take a while to, to get to you to do that. So in the future, there are, there are ways we can actually make this whole process more seamless, whereby, you know, you can create your own sort of sub payment network within the Zenpool network, whereby you can just say, hey, I want to put liquidity here, but it's only going to be for this, this, and that purpose. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. And, and then, you know, um, anyone will actually just be able to join without our say-so, which is what it. we want. Who do I have to pay off to jump the queue? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. At least Nat laughed. That was a good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jeffrey, for spending time with us today. That was awesome, right. Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you, Nat. Thank you, Mike.